Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to be back here in the chapel, worshiping with you twice on Sunday. I was just sharing with the elders in the vestry that uh, when we grew up, we used to call people onces or twices, which meant you either came once on Sunday or twice. And I was with a, a fellow pastor down in England, and he said, oh, it's taken a new meaning now. A twicer is a person who goes to church twice a month. Seems rather strange to me, but anyway, it's good to see those who are out this evening, those who are out this morning, whether you're a once or a twice, we've come together to hear God's word, and I need God's help, and you do, to understand it and put it into practice. So let's just pray first of all. Gracious Father, thank you that you're a God who has spoken in the past. Your word tells us in many and different ways, but in these last days of salvation history, you spoke through your Son, who is the word, your last word, Jesus Christ. And as we focus on his words that have been recorded for us in your wisdom and goodness in Scripture, we pray that as we focus on them and reflect on them, that you'll help us to understand them, and that by your Spirit we pray that you'll comfort the disturbed and that you'll disturb the comfortable. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. I've been sharing a bit about our recent trip to India. You're getting tired of hearing about it. It was a wonderful time, 22 days we spent in February. And we flew uh, from Glasgow uh, to Hyderabad, which is right in the center of India. On a Saturday morning, uh, our first port of call was the headquarters, the central headquarters of OM, Operation Mobilization, which is in the city of Secunderabad, which is just next to Hyderabad, joined to it by a lake. Uh, the plan was that we went there Saturday to get the weekend in there and then the plan was that I would be teaching Indian pastors preaching uh, during the next week. However, on Sunday morning we were informed, uh, well actually we were informed on Saturday, uh, that on Sunday morning and again on Monday evening we were going to visit one of OM's Good Shepherd Community Churches. OM have been planting churches for support and uh, for legal reasons, and they now have 2,800 churches uh, linked with them, Good Shepherd Community Churches in India. They're planting a new one every other day. And Moses Parma, the leader of the work in North India, when we were in Lucknow, said, uh, we're moving towards a new church every day. Amazing, isn't it? That think a new church being planted every day. So we were told... Uh, We've planned for you to visit two of these churches, one on Sunday morning and one on Monday evening. And by the way, you'll be preaching, uh, which was fine with me. I kind of half expected that might be the case. Uh, and I wasn't too concerned, even though the script, you can see on the screen there, is in Telugu, which is the state language of Andhra Pradesh, where Hyderabad is the capital city, uh, because someone was going to translate for me or interpret but I, I did have one particular concern, which every preacher has. If you're going to preach to anyone, one of the most fundamental things is you need to know your audience. You need to know who they are, where they're at, how much they understand of the Bible. You need to know whether they're Christians or non-Christians. You need to know what's going to be most relevant to them. And it's 30 years since I worked in India. And I needed to check this up. And we had a wonderful young man called Isaac who was looking after us. And I said to him, Isaac, I said, uh, what do you think would be the most suitable thing to preach on? What are the themes that Indians uh, would find particularly helpful at this time? We're going to these Indian Christians in very poor part of the city. What would be most helpful to them? 
And he said to me, I think something about the subject of fear and how you face fear. Uh, there's a reason for that, of course, if you keep up with the news, and I hope you do keep up with international news and that you, you get news from folk like the Barnabas Trust. Uh, quite recently in the state of Orissa, uh, there was violent persecution against Christians. Uh, thousands of Christians displaced and several hundred Christians were killed because of their faith. So you can see it was a very relevant uh, subject. And so I take my laptop with me with 900 sermons on it. <laughs> so uh, I sort of cull through it and, uh, and uh, focused on uh, the words of Jesus uh, in Luke's gospel, speaking to his followers about fear. Uh, and after the service, I spoke with an interpreter on the Sunday morning. And afterwards, the pastor, after I'd spoken, also spoke to the congregation. And I said to Isaac, what, what was he saying afterwards? Uh, don't believe a word he said. No, he said he, he, uh, he, said, uh, he was saying to the congregation, this is a word from God for us at this particular time, which was encouraging. I needed that information, and God used it graciously. Not only there, but I then used it in two or three other places when we also got landed uh, to preach. Uh, I preached and need to pray with people as well, which is great. However, as I began to reflect on it a little, I realized that the subject of fear is not limited to India. And the words of Jesus are relevant to all Christians at all times. And there is a reason, of course, for this. The reason for it is, is that fear, fear is a universal human problem. In fact, it has been a universal human problem ever since that disastrous day which we call the fall when our first parents disobeyed God and went their own way. Before that, people lived in a world without fear. You know the first record of fear? Here's the first record of fear. The Lord God comes seeking Adam who is hiding from him in the garden. He calls out to him not that he didn't know where he was hiding or which bushes he behind. No, he, he said to him, Adam, where are you? He wanted to face him up. Notice Adam's words, the first record in human history of fear. He, that's Adam, answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. See, fear at that moment, fear entered the world and every human heart ever since. All of us experience fear because, let me give you a definition, a rough definition. Fear is an emotion we experience or feel which is generated by the possibility of something unpleasant which will happen or could happen to us in the future, either soon or later. Let me say it again so I can get it right myself. Fear is an emotion we Experience, which is generated by the possibility of something unpleasant which might happen to me in the future. For example, uh, after we'd been in Hyderabad with OM, we went off to visit our missionary, Andrew McCabe. You've heard me talk about this. Those have been around 85 years old. And we went off to visit uh, the jungle where they're building a clinic that we raised the money for. And it was way out in the state of Bihar, which is the poorest state in India, right up on the border. Even Indians don't go there. I mean, if you say to an Indian, where are you going? You say, I'm going to Bihar. He say, what are you going to Bihar for? Nobody goes to Bihar. And going right up in that top corner, uh, nobody goes up there. 
And so we went out into the jungle, and it's a nature reserve. It's a wonderful trip. It's pretty long and hairy at times. And we, we, we got to the jungle, and then we had to cross a river 12 times. I showed the kids this morning. This is the river Sone. Sone means gold, and they still find bits of gold in there. A few people make a living out of panning for gold. And, uh, and so we ended up in this nature reserve, staying in an old British government rest house, which is pretty basic, but it's a lot better than I expected and worse than, uh, better than a lot of places I've stayed in the past. So I said to our 85-year-old missionary, half-jokingly, oh, I hope there's no tigers around. And he said, well, actually, just behind where we are staying, he said, two people were recently taken by a tiger. Which made me think. And then he said, um, as we were going around, um, as soon as we got there, Andrew was off up the path from out into the jungle. And he said, I caught it with him. We're walking along. I took a picture of it, but it didn't come out very well. And he looked down in the dust and he said, oh, that's interesting. He said, that's fresh tracks from, uh, tracks from a panther, a leopard. So I've been here quite recently, said Andrew. That's interesting. Uh, and he pointed out to us uh, while we were in the village. He said, oh, I really feel sorry for that boy there, he said. Um, his mother a few weeks ago as people do went out to relieve herself on the edge of the jungle just over there and was bitten by a cobra and died within 15 minutes kind of made you think hard and uh, but Andrew said don't worry about those things he said the animal to really worry about is is the Indian bear he said if you see a bear he said climb a tree so So being somewhat ignorant, I said, I thought bears could climb trees. And Andrew said, yeah, but choose a thin one. So, <laughs> now, you'll be glad to know if you're watching this on the screen that I didn't take any of those pictures while I was there. These are off the internet. <laughs> but thinking about their near presence created a sense of apprehension. I wouldn't call it abject fear, but I tell you what, we locked the doors tight at night when we stayed in that jungle house. And my wife tells me she woke up in the night and heard some large animal prowling around on the veranda right where we were staying. That's fear, isn't it? But there are even greater fears that all of us face, whether we live in the jungle of uh, India or the jungle of Edinburgh, trying to get across the road when doing tram works or whatever. Um, and I want to focus on some of these that Jesus focuses on, two essential fears. Um, under the title Facing Your Fears so let me read the verses that I read to those friends in India and let's pray that God will help us to understand them and apply them in our own situation Luke 12 we're going to read four verses that's all we're going to focus on Luke 12 verses 4 to 7 it's page 1044 this is it, it, it this is part of a larger section of radical teaching from Jesus which begins in, in Luke chapter 12 and goes on um, at some length for at least the whole of the chapter and in fact right into chapter 13 uh, up to verse 8. Uh, some years ago we focused on this in the chapel way back in 1996 but most of you won't remember that. Luke 12 verse 4, these are the words of Jesus the Son of God speaking to his followers. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. 
fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell yes I tell you fear him are not five sparrows sold for two pennies yet not one of them is forgotten by God indeed the very hairs of your head are all numbered don't be afraid you are worth more than many sparrows well that is wonderfully encouraging very simply look at the Bible in front of you and you'll notice that Jesus here addresses two great fears here's the first one verses 4 and 5 the fear of being killed by men the fear of being killed by men the context of these verses we're, we're well into Luke's gospel by now the context of these verses is the growing opposition to Jesus on the part of the religious authorities and the conflict which he knows is bound to come if you go on in chapter 12 you'll see later in this discourse Jesus gives the warning of approaching persecution look at verse 49 I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled but I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it's completed do you think I've come to bring peace on earth no I tell you but division from now on there'll be five in one family divided against each other three against two and two against three they'll be divided father against son son against father mother against daughter daughter against mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law Jesus says conflict divisive conflict is coming and you're going to be the targets and it will split families on their loyalty to me and as the disciples begin to understand the radical teaching of Jesus and his outspoken criticism of the Pharisees and the religious hierarchy in Israel so they begin to see a little and they will later understand and appreciate fully that it will end in violence and that they will be the target you see death is the great fear of all human beings Hebrews 2.15 describes us as those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death now death is bad enough but violent death at the hands of another is worse life is unexpectedly cut short in its prime not only that this kind of death is carried out here by the authorities who have and hold the power of life and death that would seem to be the ultimate deterrent and anyone can offer to another person to threaten another person and say I will kill you you remember when our Lord Jesus Christ was on trial for his life before Pontius Pilate the Roman governor Pilate turns to him and says don't you know don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you so is there an antidote to this first fear the fear of being killed see most people think that the worst thing that could ever happen to them is death for it represents the end of everything where there's life there's hope we say where there's death it's hopeless that's why people shudder when you look at the news and a violent death is reported in the media it could happen to me death means the end hopelessness but Jesus teaching is really radical he challenges that thinking he tells his disciples and us if we claim to be his followers three facts which we need to take into effect uh, into account as an antidote to the fear of being killed by men look at them here they're quite simply here in the verses here one there is more to life than the body the soul 
Jesus says, when your body is destroyed, when there's no breath left in your body, that is not the end of the story. That is not the end of you. Your soul lives on. The real you lives on. Secondly, link with that. There is a worse fate than death. Hell. That's pretty radical. Jesus said, people think, when you're dead, that's the, death, death is the great thing to fear. Jesus says, no, because after death, there is the possibility, the awful possibility of hell. The Greek word translated hell here is literally Gehenna, which is a Hebrew word, Gehinnom, uh, which was a valley. Geh means valley. It means the valley of Hinnom. It was adjacent to Jerusalem, and in the dark days of Israel, children had been sacrificed in this valley, this Gehenna, in this valley, to the pagan god Molech, who was not a nice god. He wasn't God at all. Uh, good King Josiah had stopped this. But the place was ever since then regarded as accursed. And at the time of Jesus, in New Testament times, it was used as a rubbish tip, which was always burning. It, it, the fire never went out. It was always smoldering with rubbish. And Jesus uses this term to describe eternal punishment, which is worse than physical death. He says, you're afraid of people who kill the body? There's something more than that. You can be cast into hell. Eternal punishment. And thirdly, linked with that, there is more to life than the body, the soul. There is a worse fate than death, hell. Thirdly, there is a greater power than any human authority, every human authority. That is God himself. Jesus says, don't fear men. They can only do so much. Fear the one God who has the power to cast body and soul into hell. Human power is limited. God's power is limitless. So Jesus says, facing this great fear that you might be killed for your faith in me, fear the one who has this greater power. Notice Jesus repeats the words twice in verse 5. Fear him. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Verse 5 then, so fear God. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Leon Morris in the IVP commentary, it's a good commentary on the Gospel of Luke. You remember some of you have preached all the way through Luke. It's one of the ones we recommended if you want a good commentary. Writes this very interestingly. He says, The fear of God is rather out of fashion these days. We much prefer to stress the love of God. But while there is a sense in which perfect love casts out fear, 1 John 4:18, there is a fear which is compatible with love. This kind of fear is continually regarded in the Bible as a necessary ingredient in right living. And he continues, he says, It is an attitude compounded of a recognition of the greatness and righteousness of God on the one hand and our readiness to sin on the other. Fear of this kind guards against presumption and must find its place in a right faith. Now, he said it's out of fashion these days. He wrote that in 1976. I would suggest to you it is no more in fashion now, 34 years on. Less so. So I would suggest that as Christians, if we are Christians, and if you're not, even more, get even more along. But if we are Christians, we need to take the words and warning of Jesus seriously. Yes? 
he calls his disciples my friends in verse 4 but fear God is a friendly warning fear God is a friendly warning so what are you most afraid of are you afraid of other people what they might do to you probably not going to kill you but or do you fear God more than anything else you fear God so much do I fear God so much that I'm prepared to stand up and be counted against the hostility of others or do we fear others and what they might think of us more we may not face the shocking reality of being killed for Christ like Christians in India but I believe it is becoming increasingly difficult to proclaim the uniqueness of Christ and the righteous demands of God in a society like ours as it drifts and then accelerates away from God's word a sobering thought that if church history is accurate all of the 12 disciples of Jesus here the 11 Judas deserted with the exception of John died prematurely as martyrs for Christ not surprisingly not only is the fear of the Lord downplayed in our day but also the doctrine of hell is under attack and I say with sadness under attack by professing evangelicals it's a dangerous thing to deny the words of Jesus and the reality of hell. So, I pause to ask you as an antidote to the fear of man, am I or are you living in the fear of God? Have we faced up to the awful reality of hell? If you're not a Christian, the Bible says the pointed to men wants to die and after that to face judgment before the one who can cast body and soul into hell. And if you are a Christian, are you prepared to witness for Christ against all ridicule and worse so that others might escape from a lost eternity spent in hell? But if the power of God, which Jesus has been talking about here, is so great, you can imagine his followers hearing this. And a second fear sort of pops up, which is linked to it. Not only the fear of being killed by men, but secondly, in verses 6 to 7, the fear of being forgotten by God. The fear of being forgotten by God. You see, when you think about God's awesome power and judgment, you go to a place like India. I mean, the, the, one, thing, the one thing that hits you when you go to India is the number of people there. I mean, just wrong with people. I think it's now the largest population close to the same as China. It's just millions of people. And you think, amidst all these people... How can I have any possible significance or importance to God? So as if to reassure his disciples after speaking about the greatness and power and fear of the Lord, Jesus begins to talk about the love of the Lord, which keeps it in balance. And he reassures his disciples and us, and we have these two lovely pictures which remind us of God's care for the individual. Two pictures. First one is the sparrow. Jesus says, and a nice picture of a sparrow. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? The sparrow was then, and probably still is today, I suppose, the smallest and most insignificant of birds, often killed and sold in the marketplace for food. In Matthew's Gospel, in a different context, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Luke tells us that he said, Are not five sold for two pennies? There is no contradiction. Two for a penny, five for twopence. 
yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Uh, Matthew records the words that Jesus said also, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. Now can you see the argument? It's from the lesser to the greater. It's obvious. God cares for sparrows. How much more for human beings? So Jesus goes on to say at the end of verse 7, so don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. In Matthew's gospel, uh, there's an occasion when Jesus responds to the religious leaders who criticize him for healing a man on the Sabbath day, the, the special Jewish sacred day when you sh weren't supposed to work. And he says this, Matthew 12, If any one of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now the words of Jesus about sheep and sparrows uh, tells us two things we need to keep in, in check. One is that God does care for animals. He cares for sparrows and sheep. And so should we. But they also tell us that he cares more for human beings who are worth more than sheep and sparrows and whales and gorillas and any other animal. God cares personally for each of us. And Jesus says he sees and knows when one of his followers is killed for the sake of Christ's name. We may be deeply moved by pictures on the internet. I just found a picture of one of the people who were burnt to death in Arissa. We feel it. How much more so God? Jesus says God cares for every detail of our lives. And he goes on to show that detail with the second picture. Not just the sparrow, but the hairs on your head. What's happened to the hairs on my head? Ah, oh, there you are. I to find a baby's head on the internet. Verse 7. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, it is not, of course, a literal reference to that God keeps a head count of everybody you know and how many hairs on your head you know. What it's saying is that God knows every detail of our lives, even about the facts that we don't know about ourselves. Only a few people here in Charlotte Chapel know how many hairs they've got on their head. <laughs> Namely those who haven't got any. <laughs> now, such an idea of God was alien to the philosophers of the day in which Jesus lived. God was regarded, or the gods, if you were from a Greek background, the gods were regarded as remote unconcerned with the world, let alone individual people. And in our day, where human beings are dehumanized, depersonalized, regarded as numbers or statistics, these words come with added force and reassurance. God cares for each one of us, even the smallest detail of our lives, and he cares for us when we're hurting. Some of you here this morning and heard the sad news that young Peter Murray, 17 years old, is back in hospital, seriously ill. These words are of great import for his family and for Peter at this time. We need to pray that God will make them a reality to them as we pray for that family and their particular need to know that God knows and cares and loves them. And I want to say to you, some of you this evening, perhaps you think you don't matter to anyone. You're unimportant. You're insignificant. Insignificant. Jesus says, you're of great value and that God the Father knows all about you and he loves you even when, especially when you face difficulty and especially 
when you face death which we all will in this Christ comes before that so Jesus goes on in the next verses so don't be afraid to confess Christ I tell you verse 8 Jesus says whoever acknowledges me before men the son of man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God but he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God here's the challenge have you confessed Christ before men it's quite practical it doesn't say you know you've got a private faith that you keep to yourself it says when the push comes to shove in the office in the university in the street when the opportunity comes you stand up and be counted and say I belong to Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior Jesus said if you do that when the great day comes he'll acknowledge you before him his father in heaven if you disown him he'll disown you so how are you am I a witnessing Christian simply ask you and it comes home in stark relief in a place like India where people see the reality of it or places like North Korea where there are hundreds of Christians who nobody here knows their names even who are dying for Christ even as we sit here now or places like Myanmar in the Middle East people who are dying for the name of Christ what is it costing me to be a Christian if the honest answer is very little then probably I'm not a very effective Christian Jesus warned his disciples in John's gospel we have the record John 15 if the world hates you keep in mind that it hated me first if you belong to the world it would love you as its own as it is you don't belong to the world the world of society and its values but I have chosen you out of the world that is the why the world hates you because you're different you don't belong that way of thinking and acting remember the words I spoke to you no servant is greater than his master if they persecuted me they'll persecute you also so let me say something in conclusion okay, early night tonight. and as I was reflecting on this it struck me I've not seen it before but it's fairly obvious what Jesus warned his followers about these two great fears as so often Jesus himself experienced think of for a moment about what Jesus experienced what happened to him he was killed by men remember on the day of Pentecost the Apostle Peter stands up crowd of his fellow Jews who were there when it happened many of them and he says this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross he suffered a violent death at the hands of men and even more wonderfully and yet terribly really on the cross bearing our sin and God's wrath Jesus also experienced the agony of being forsaken by God when he cried out my God my God why have you forsaken me he experienced our two greatest fears met them head on so that we need not fear for as Peter goes on to say in that great sermon God vindicated him by raising him from the dead 
and so dealing with the root cause of fear by neutralizing the sting of death book of Hebrews again I quoted before but here's the whole passage in context Hebrews 2 14 and 15 the writer says since the children have flesh and blood he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death that is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death when you put your trust in Jesus Christ the one who died, killed by men, forsaken by God for you, raised from the dead. When you put your faith in him, the sting of death is removed. It doesn't mean you're not afraid of dying. That's the process. But you need not be afraid of death itself because it's but the gateway to life in him who is the resurrection and life. So I ask you this evening, are you afraid of death? Or do you have that assurance of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord? I finish with a true story. Some of you here in Charlotte Chapel uh, will know of Mark Ashton. And Mark, minister of Stag, St. Andrew the Great Church in Cambridge. He's married to Fiona Ray, who was. Folks were part of Charlotte Chapel. He needed a good wife in ministry and chose one of the elect here in Charlotte Chapel. And uh, he's been serving the Lord faithfully in that place for many years. In December 2008, uh, Mark was diagnosed with inoperable terminal cancer. Doctors said he had a few months to live and he should make preparations. And in, it, in this month's edition of the magazine Evangelicals Now, and if you haven't got it, I encourage you to get a copy. You can also get it free on the internet, by the way, but get a copy he writes about his life since that day and the hope of the resurrection let me quote his words because they're wonderful words as he's reflected on this and looking at this prognosis he says here is one area where Christians have a wonderful opportunity to stand out as different from our contemporary culture our contemporaries are obsessed with healing and the extension of physical life at all costs what a pity that we Christians imitate them in that. When we talk about the hope of healing and relief of physical pain, our contemporaries love it and flock to our healing services with high hopes. But when we talk about glory lying beyond the grave and our sure hope of eternal life, they are brought up short and are forced to face their own eternal destinies. So it is with Christians as well as non-believers that I have tried to share the good news of the resurrection. The warning of my death has brought in it into much clearer perspective for me and I regret, he says, that I have not proclaimed it more powerfully through the 37 years of my preaching ministry. In writing of his own prospects, he says, Each day I open it, this book, God speaks straight into my heart by his word. And it tells me what lies beyond this life. I can see the end of my life. It looms over the horizon. And I'm encouraged to think it will not be long now before I am there. So it was not for on Easter Sunday, Saturday. Between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, on Easter Saturday morning early. Most appropriate day. Mark crossed over into God's eternal presence. With Christ better by far. This is our hope. I hope.
Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful, powerful words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Truly radical. Challenging our thinking. Challenging our culture and its thinking. May those words and the reality of the risen Christ by His Spirit be embedded in our hearts and minds. So that we can say with the Apostle Paul, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Pray for those of us here who are facing uncertain futures. Maybe some here facing medical prospects that aren't very good. Facing that prospect for loved ones. Lord, fill us with great hope and joy in believing in Christ. And for any of us here and those we we know who don't have that hope, who are without hope and without God in the world, Lord, bring the word of Jesus home to them so that they too might put their trust in him who is indeed the only hope, the resurrection and the life. And we ask it in his name for your glory. Amen.